0: Hi and welcome to the Big Footy Port Adelaide Podcast, a weekly show dedicated to talking all things Port Adelaide. Uh, I'm Envyable Tradition, I'm here with my regular co-host Macca19, welcome mate. G'day buddy. And uh, we've got a first timer here, we've got a, uh, not a first timer on the port board, but a first timer on the podcast, Triby, welcome mate.
1: Hi, ah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
0: Truby! And so obviously a big week this week with the uh, with the finals all happening. Port going down to Geelong by 16 points at the MCG. We're going to get into discussing all about that in just a short moment. But as we always do when we have a new podcaster on the show, Triby, we're going to start with you, mate. And we want to know how you came to love this great football club and, and what your background is with the Port Adelaide Football Club.
1: Well, controversy. Is that what you're aiming at? Or? <laughs> you can be controversial if you like. That's it's okay. well-tilled. Well-tilled soil. Um, No, originally I was dragged across to Adelaide as part of a family of Collingwood supporters in 1984 or so. So naturally, Port Adelaide was just the the way to go. Obviously, the working class, black and white. So that was naturally the banner everyone picked up. Um, Then obviously, uh, you know, Scott Hodges and premierships and obviously coming off the drought originally, it was a little bit poor. But then... The club I realised was a winning club. It was a great club, and how could you how could you like or love anyone else? So there you go.
0: Beautiful. So what what are your first memories then? Like what year did you start following the club? What, what were your early memories of following the club?
1: Oh, probably circa nineteen eighty six. I grew up in the southern suburbs where everyone was either a Glenelg supporter or a Glenelg supporter. So obviously <laughs> Glenelg, Glenelg were flying, and we we used to get beaten a lot, and I actually didn't think Port were that good, and then obviously <laughs> when 88, 89, 90, 92, just the premierships rolled in, I mean. Yeah, just you,
0: just, you, I mean, you, you, you did time that. it pretty well there, Travy. Yeah, <laughs> you, did, you, know. you yeah. didn't really have too long to wait, mate, I don't know about this joke yeah. you're talking about, but. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, you know, compared to, compared to recent years, I mean, it was just, uh, it was a cavalcade of success.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's get into our talk for this week, and Mac, we might start with you, mate, let's have your love and your hate for
2: the week. Sure thing, mate. My um, love is Philip Walsh coming back. Um, one of the absolute masterminds of our premiership and, and that minor premiership run from 02 to 04. Um All you've got to do is listen to a number of the uh, really strong, best players in our history speak about the influence that he had over them. Um, you know, guys like Tredray, Corns, um, Burgoyne, Lay, they all speak, you know, wonderful things about Philip Walsh. So I'm so bloody excited we got him back. After getting so close a couple of years ago, uh, to have him back, you know, I think uh, I think this is one of the best um, appointments we've had in a long time. Beautiful, and
0: uh, and we'll talk in a bit more detail about that later on. And, and Rennie heading out the door as well. But what was your hope for the week,
2: mate? Uh, just the season being over. You know, it was just <laughs> such an enjoyable year. Um, you know, it's just a bit of a sad panda at the moment. You know, it's a bit down. There's no game this week. Um, don't really care what happens for the rest of the year, to be honest. But, you know, it's just been such a fantastic year and, um, yeah, just a little bit of a shame that there wasn't another chapter to be told. Yeah. And so, Charby, what was your love, mate?
1: My, my love was just anyone, anything, just anything to do with the Port Adelaide Football Club, from the players to the coaching staff to the fans to just everyone who was able to after the the, the last five years of just a wasteland of wilderness. We were able to just come out and just enjoy footy again. And, you know, although the players change and the coaches change, you you still love the club, you know, win, lose or draw. But this year felt like vindication and that we're finally back on track.
0: Beautiful. And I know your hate this week, mate, has been a popular one on this uh, podcast show. So maybe you'd like to jump in and uh, give us your hate for the week.
1: Look, I'm actually going to do an about face on Shane McInerney. He's probably a great bloke. He probably drinks similar beer to me. He probably dresses in a similar manner, you know. But so I'm going to move away from that, and I'm just going to say oh, I I hate Geelong. I mean, you know, this <laughs> this last ten or eleven games where they've just they've just murdered us in every single way. Now now I know how it feels to be a South or, or a Glenelg supporter <laughs> in September. You know? Just just that one club that comes up, and even when you think you're travelling well against them, they just they just grab up and. At half time, when more four goals up, I, I defy any Port Adelaide supporter to think that they weren't going to come at us and come at us hard. And, you know, they just, hey, take nothing away from them. They're a fabulous club, and uh, we've got to look to look up to them. We're lucky to have Hinckley from that system. But, yeah, Geelong, just go away, Geelong. Just stay <laughs> like you're supposed to, boys.
0: Yeah. Well, my, uh, my love this week was really just, once again, the, the team not giving up. You know, it's, it's once again, it's just so good to see after the last couple of years we've been through that, you know, even when the chips were down, even right at the end, when it really looked like we were out of the game, they just came again one more time. You know, there was that magnificent goal from Justin Westhoff and, you know, they really did just not give up the entire season and it was just fantastic to see. And, you know, as a supporter, really, that's all you can ask for. And, and you see that and you feel happy and you think, hey, this is a team I can follow. This is a, te- this is a group of lads I can get behind and yell and cheer for, because you just know they're going to give their all. So uh, I, I just love that, that about that particular game, but really about the whole season. I, I think they, they set that tone at the start, and they've certainly lived up to it throughout the season, which is fantastic. My hate for the week, actually, you, know, you mentioned the umpires there, Tribey, and I was actually really disappointed that for the first time all season, Ken Hinckley actually made comment about the umpires after the game. Um, And I was actually disappointed about that. I know a lot of the fans, I know I've spoken to a few people who said, no, they were really happy that he did it because they were annoyed with the umpiring and something should be said. But I kind of felt like we had this theme of the whole year of saying, well, you get what you deserve and, you know, you work for it and if you're good enough, you'll get there. And then right at the end of the season when we'd done all that great work, he sort of came out and said, yeah, but, you know, the umpires were, I think he said confusing, I think is what he said, but probably meant, you know, implied other stuff as well. And uh, and I just thought I was actually disappointed with that. I thought it would be good just to go away and say, no, nah, you know what, we weren't good enough. Next year we're going to come back. We're going to work harder and and completely, you know, focus on what we can control. And so I was actually just a little bit disappointed in that. Not obviously loved Kenny this year. He's done an amazing job, but there was probably just one little thing. I thought oh, I don't know if I would have said that. So that was my hate for the week. So well,
1: that, that's you want to jump that's, in? Understand- that's understandable, but. I just think, in, in fairness to Ken, I, I don't think he quite expected the the right in front of me moment of the <laughs> the, the Carlisle Corey decision was just horrendous, and everyone who I watched it with just just expected the umpire to point our way. And the look on Carlisle's face it just it just unfortunately seemed to ripple through the rest of the team that yeah you know the interpretations had changed, and it was going to be hard from now on.
0: Yeah. Yeah, don't get me wrong, I don't think it was a brilliant job from the umpiring. <laughs> I just, sure. but, I, but I would have liked to have seen Ken stick yeah. with his theme the whole year. I reckon it would have been good. Macca, perhaps you can jump in, mate. We're going to move on from the umpires now. We're going to move on to your review of the game. Obviously, we played Geelong. Gave him a really good shake, but went down by 16 points at the end. Do you want to talk to us a bit about
2: what went on? Yeah, sure. We did give him a really good shake. You know, I'm so proud of the lads um, in how they played. Not just how they played, but how they went about it. You know, they weren't prepared to be bossed around by Geelong this time. Um, and even said, even though we had a, a big sort of third-quarter breakdown, I thought, you know, for the other three quarters, we put put in a bloody good effort and, and nearly came away with the win. Um I mean, such a strong opening half. I mean, who would have thought we'd be four goals up at half time against Geelong at the mm-hmm. MCG in a final? Um, I mean, that was beyond my wildest expectations. It was, it was pinch yourself kind of stuff, wasn't it? Like, you were sitting yeah. there going, really? Are we really up? Are we What's really up by four <laughs> goals against Geelong? I mean... Yep. Yep, we are. Yeah, that's it. Um, I don't know. I guess, you know, when they kicked the first two goals, you sort of thought, oh, here we go again. You know, we're going to be bloody seven goals down at quarter time or something, but... Yeah, you know, then we, we really controlled the game for the next sort of 45 minutes um, and did such a good job, you know, lots of gut running. I, I know it's been a theme on the podcast, especially with Ebert and his gut running, but guys like Monfries and Gray and, and Moore and, you know, Brody and especially Cameron O'Shea, I mean, he is yeah. Jake like at the moment. Yeah. That's the name
0: I was about to mention, definitely Him. his gut oh, running. And his just...
2: all-round effort was amazing. Just an incredible footballer he's that he's turned into. I mean, I'm so excited about his career and, and where he's headed next year and beyond. Um, and we've, we were four goals up at halftime. And I know, I don't know. I was so excited. I was jumping around like an idiot at halftime, <laughs> just, just hoping that you know. In the back of my mind, there was always that thought of, "Got you know." Probably about seven or eight times this year, we've come out after halftime and just put in such a lame effort. Yeah. Um, well, let's
0: let's stop on that point for a sec, Mackey, because I actually want to find out from all three of you. You sort of covered uh, that there, Mackey. What what you thought at halftime? Like, where where, where did you think the game was
2: going to go in the second half? I was had my fingers crossed that we would come out, and my expectation was all I want is for us to still be in front. And you know, best case scenario is that we are. You know, still four goals up at three-quarter time. I thought if we can keep that margin, um, you know, our better legs, our better fitness will hold us in good stead in the last quarter when Geelong come back. But, yeah, they came back a quarter early. (laughs) And, Trivi, what were your thoughts at halftime, mate?
1: Mine was actually far more simplistic. Like, I was actually, to be brutally honest, I was in the ensuite having a halftime slash. (laughs) And all I could think of of was we're four goals up, if we can get the first goal of the third quarter to stretch it out to five, it'll give us the belief. It'll give us that little kick we need. But unfortunately, there was just something about that the Geelong. There was something about the occasion. I just thought we cannot have the sort of performance we had in the first quarter, all our uh, first and second quarter, all our own way, without Geelong eventually coming back. And did they? They just yeah. steamrolled us in that third quarter.
0: Yeah, because yeah. I've got to admit, I mean, you guys obviously heard my pre-match prediction, so I was still pretty circumspect at halftime. Like, I was still sitting there thinking, you know, we've done so well, we're four goals up. It's, it's pretty much all gone perfectly for us so far. I thought if we can manage to maintain that for the entire game, you know, we might just be able to keep our noses in front. But I just had this feeling there was going to be a stage, and it seems to be in the third quarter a lot this year, where we just weren't quite going to keep our pedal to them. We weren't quite going to keep that same pressure on and, and they were just going to, you know, just be too good, unfortunately, too experienced, you know. I was thinking, you kind of come back to the way the, port, the old Port Magpies used to do it to all the other SNFL teams, basically. They just had that finals experience, they had that finals know-how where they just knew, you know, if they just persisted, they'd get through you and get over the line. And, and I think that's kind of what Geelong did to us. So I, I was sort of sitting there thinking, gee, this is awesome. Like, we were in with a real chance here, but in the back of my head I was thinking... Oh, I don't know if we can hang on. Anyway, go on, Mecca. I was just curious to hear what people's
2: thoughts were at halftime. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I was similar, you know, praying for the first goal. If we get the first goal, we will win the game. That's what I said to a, a couple of big footy lads at the ground um, during the halftime break. Unfortunately, it didn't happen that way. I mean, Geelong, I mean, they, I don't know, I think it was about 30 seconds in when Hawkins scored. And you just felt, oh, here we go. <laughs> Got to get the next one. Bang, straight away, they get their second goal. Bang, straight away, they get their third goal. There goes the three, the, you know, the halftime break. Um, there goes the lead. Um, you know, game back on. Um, yeah. I'm not sure, I really don't know what it is about our third quarters this year because it, it's happened so many times, almost on a weekly basis during the second half of the year. I know it was the first quarters during the first half, um, but ever since the Dogs game, uh, just before the break, when they came out and kicked about seven goals to one or something like that, We've just not been able to compete after halftime in the third quarter.
0: Yeah, I was going to mention that because it, it was early in the year. It was the start of the game. And so it seems like we come out from either the start of the game or from the main break just not quite switched on. And I just don't see how that could be happening on such a consistent basis. Well,
2: it's just a complete breakdown. I mean, it's just, you know, we don't win the ruck and the midfield just completely disappears. We lose every single clearance, every single stoppage. Um, our defenders are behind the ball. You know, they're not getting their spoils in. So we throw a couple of men behind the bowl. They're not in the correct position. When we happen to do actually win the bowl, we've got no one to kick it to up forward. So the bowl just comes straight back out again. Um, And it's just happened so many times. I mean, you you look at the showdown and um, even against like Gold Coast and and Geelong again. um, Yeah, just not sure what it is. But, you know, we. I really thought that Jay Schultz's goal um, near the end of the third quarter was going to be important, just to keep us in touch. Um, I think it was about seven points, the difference at uh, at three-quarter time. And I thought, you know, we, we, we've we shown that we've got such good fitness this year. We know we're not going to give up. We know we're, we're going to put everything into this last quarter. Um, and I, I really was disappointed with the umpiring in the last quarter. But, I mean as you said you get what you deserve and going on the third quarter we didn't deserve to win the game
0: yeah and i think that was the story in the end wasn't it it was that third quarter i know you're at the game but on the tv at one stage i know it flashed up that it was 15 to 1 inside 50s about yeah, halfway through win. i think that third quarter
2: you don't deserve to win a final if you if you kick you know one scoring shot to about 15 in the third quarter of the final you don't really deserve to win yeah. so
0: yeah, and I think that's what it was in the end. I think it was just that consistency. And and I know we spoke about it before the game, and we said, you know, they're a young team. They still haven't quite got that four-quarter consistency yet. They don't seem to be able to maintain that level of performance across a whole game, uh, or indeed across a whole season yet. Uh, but I think that's going to come. But you know, I think the the most pleasing thing from my perspective was that we didn't fade away at all. Come finals time, you know, we we didn't. You know, we, we almost stepped up a notch when we got to the finals in both of the games. I thought in terms of consistency of performance in terms of players stepping up in terms of players showing that they really wanted to you know perform on the big stage and and perform on the big occasion I thought it was really pleasing to see for a young team that you know we really took it to two really good teams and and not obviously knocked one of them off pushed the other one right to the end Uh, and it was pretty pleasing to see from
2: such a young team. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, you know, everyone expected us to get thrashed against Collingwood and we beat them and everyone expected us to get thrashed against Geelong and we were up by four mm-hmm. goals at half time. So, I mean, there's great signs for the future. We've just got to make sure we, uh, we bottle that and get hungry again and, and do the right things in the pre-season and improve the list and improve our fitness and improve our midfield structures and, and all that sort of thing and, and go for gold next year. Yeah, and we're definitely going to
0: talk about that a lot on the podcast show next week. We're going to do a whole review of the season of sort of what went right and what went wrong. So I can sort of look forward to that next week and we'll get right into that. But, Triby, what were your thoughts on the game, mate?
1: Uh, am I allowed to speak candidly? or you know, It's it. a G-rated program, isn't it? Um, yeah, look, uh, I... I I vacillated from disbelief that we were doing so well in the first half to hold Geelong. So what what, what did they kick to half time Three goals, six or something? Yeah, about that. Yeah. yeah. For, for us to just be, it was almost too good to be true. We seemed to be cruising almost in the, in the last part of the second quarter. And then obviously the third quarter when Geelong, the inevitable tidal wave came, But it just, it, what really frustrated me was we, we didn't seem to be completely outclassed. It's just we just seemed to have that, that split second of slowness or that split second of indecision that Geelong had, you know? So there was a moment when Bartel kicked that goal on the run where Broadbent did a really good defensive effort and he tried to kick it to Boak and Corey just stepped in with a split second mark and hand off to Bartel, who then goal. And you just think to yourself, this is the sort of execution and level. I mean, it's not luck. You know, it's, it, they, it can't be just luck that they do this to Hawthorne. They do this to us. They do this to Collingwood. They do it to teams again and again and again. And, and this is the level we want to reach if we're to win another premiership. And I think it will absolutely bode well for this group that they did perform extraordinarily well on the MCG when they weren't expected to. Yeah. And, uh, at, at a risk of sounding like someone from Carlton, we are coming, and uh, I'm, 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 pretty, I'm pretty sure a few people know it, too. At least we went with we are coming rather than
0: can you smell what we're cooking, because that, <laughs> that, was, that was a particularly bad motto. So, uh, it- <laughs> that was a shocker. So, yeah, and I think it's right. It was just that that slight difference, wasn't it? Like, you could just tell they just had that little bit more execution, they had that little bit more experience, they had those little bit bigger bodies. But, but isn't that a great thing for our team to come up against them and say, you know, we were that close. Like, you know, we were that close. All we've got to do next year is find that extra 5%, that extra 10%. You know, it, it, we're not talking monumental changes now. We're just talking that, that little bit extra we've got to find. And I think, you know, we're going to talk later about the changes in the coaches, but, you know, with Burjo on board for a second pre-season, with the team getting that extra year older, it's not hard to see how we can find that extra little percent to really take it to those top teams absolutely it's going to be really exciting so how about we start talking about some of our best players for the game who'd you guys like
2: oh Bokey Um, after a down week against Collingwood I thought he really came to play and led from the front against Geelong Um, did everything he could to help us over the line Um, thought Trengove had a a ripping game on Podsy Adley he's someone that's you know Almost consistently killed us over the last few years. So him keeping him to something like one kick was uh, was a fantastic effort. Um, I brought up Cameron O'Shea earlier. You know he's just such a good player now. Um, he's probably the best in that position in the league at the moment. You know that sort of third tall um, yeah. chopping in front of the, the pack and taking your mark and running off. I mean it, it is Chad Corns like, and I'm just so excited to see what he can do in the future. Um, I thought Brad Epp. Uh, Brad Ebert's effort um, once again. You know he, he was probably our best player throughout the finals. Um, and Westoff you know, it was great to see him really stand up in a final. And I mean, that goal at the end there was just ridiculous.
0: Yeah, it was a great goal, wasn't it? What, what are, that was just amazing. I mean, it's it's so ridiculous that the goal of the year is uh, is past and it's not eligible to be in it. But uh, it should have won at McCants. It was just fantastic. And, and what a moment in the game to do it. You know, just when it looked like it was all dead and buried. All of a sudden, this little spark just to reignite again was pretty exciting. So, That's it. Um, Tribey, who do you like in the game, mate?
1: Um, without wanting to double up on uh, Macker's uh, summary there, um, I'm going to say Jay Schultz, actually. Um, I just thought it was another typical game where Jay Schultz was under the pump. He was facing two-on-ones, three-on-ones, the emptied-out forward line when we struggle and we're facing an onslaught from the opposition. And he just he just kept on presenting, he kept on trying. He kicked uh one or two goals when the game was really hot after being quite quiet and also I'm not sure whether he injured himself. There was a moment when he he fell on his he fell forward onto his hands and it just looked like he either jerked or dislocated his shoulder at one point. And I and I thought, Oh no, that that looks absolutely terrible. Um but to come back on and keep on battling and uh, without wanting to harp back on certain decisions again, I did think he probably could have got an important goal late on when Lonigan just absolutely threw him out of the contest one-on-one and it was deemed to be play-on. Um, yeah. But, yeah, apart, I mean, apart from Jay Schultz uh, battling, I, I really liked, and I am going to double up, Cameron O'Shea. I think yeah. for someone who is so maligned, he is just an absolute stud of a player. He's big, he's quick. He can read the play really well. He runs lines. Uh, He's got a quite underrated disposal. And I think when he really begins to back himself and realises just how good he is, both talent-wise and physically, he is just going to be one of the elite players of the competition.
0: Yeah, and he was probably my best too. I thought O'Shea was just fantastic. And, and everything you guys have said was absolutely true. And, uh, you know, I, I think he's one that should be really looking to push for that All-Australian selection next year. We'll talk about the All-Australians a bit later, but I think he should definitely be pushing for that All-Australian next year. Like, he, he, he should be looking to, to get that spot probably that Mackey had this year. And, uh, and I think, you know, on the form he showed, particularly towards the end of the season, there's absolutely no reason why he can't come into that spot because uh, he just played some absolutely fantastic defensive and attacking football you know playing tall running you know he really just did a lot and it was fantastic and Macker I think you were spot on with really our leaders you know Boke Trengove and Ebert probably you know not just in this game but in, in throughout the finals and throughout even just the latter part of the year I thought those were the three who really stepped up and really showed leadership and really performed when the chips were down against the quality opposition when the heat was on I thought those three were absolutely fantastic. I think Trengove's last month has probably been by far the best footy he's played for the club. I've always been a big rap for him. Yep. Uh, but he's just stepped up to that next level to sort of start playing the footy we've always known he was capable of and find that really good mix between you know that aggression but also playing good footy, being sound defensively, giving a little bit on the offensive side as well. And I reckon he's just been absolutely fantastic and pretty undersold, I reckon, in the last month. You haven't heard a lot about him in the media or anything like that, but... But I think his footy's just been fantastic. So, oh,
2: exactly, yeah. I mean, he, he's kept his two opponents to something like three kicks total in the two yeah. finals. I mean, that's, that's, unbelievable, that's incredible. unbelievable,
0: isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So who'd you like from the young guys? Obviously, uh, you know, we've all mentioned Cam O'Shea and he probably
2: still classifies as a young guy. Um, but who else do we like for the young players? Probably, without being too harsh, no one else, to be honest. Um, it was just one of those games where, I mean, Wingard was a little bit below par. Um, Moore made a few mistakes. Ollie Wines, I, I liked his game, even though we didn't get much of it. Um, Cahoon was okay. Um, actually, I really thought Jasper Pittard's first half was outstanding. Um, he was someone that I wanted to, to note. Um, he fell away pretty dramatically after halftime, but his first half was probably the best fa- half of football he's played all year, in my opinion. I'm, I'm shocked, Macca. I'm shocked. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just, I've just got to recover a little bit. Yeah, no, I, 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 reckon, I reckon you're right there, mate. Absolutely. And so I mean, just just you
1: like? Here. Jasper Pittard, if, if he had been able to get that disposal away, I mean, obviously he was pinged for illegal disposal or holding the ball or something along those lines. I couldn't tell. I was so angry. Um, is that still if, a rule? <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't for most of the finals, and then all of yeah. a sudden it's back in vogue, fashionable. Um, if, if Pittard had been able to get that shot in and we had been able to conjure a shot at goal to get back with him, was it, four points with about 80 or 90 seconds to go, I don't know. I personally probably would have penned a song about Jasper Pittard. So <laughs> you know, hopefully he can go on with it and build on it and keep on impressing us for longer. Yeah,
0: yeah and I thought Wines and Moore, I thought were probably the two of the better younger guys. I mean, both, you know, both playing a really tough role against a pretty seasoned Geelong team with some pretty seasoned, tough bodies in there. And for two young guys like that to be standing up on the inside, like you said, not getting a huge amount of the ball, perhaps making a couple of mistakes... But to be standing up like they did on the inside against quality opposition, um, you know, I thought they both did a good (laughs) job. And uh, and I think they're both going to be definitely players, obviously, for the future. But, you know, even just next season, I think those two are going to be two players who are really going to be our solid, you know, probably finals footballers. You know, those solid bodies who get in and under, who win the ball, who distribute it out. You know, you need those sort of players in the big finals getting their hand on the ball first. And I thought both of them showed some real signs that they're going to be
2: those players for us in the future. So, well, this is where uh, this is where Philip Walsh comes in. I think um, really excited to see what he can do with Andrew Moore next year.
0: Yeah. Well, let's let's jump into that now. We had that scheduled for a bit later, but let's jump in and talk about the, the coaching changes. So, obviously, Rennie out and and Walsh in. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Perhaps do you could go first, driving
1: Hey, look, I if uh, if you're a long-time reader of the core board, um, I have been an absolute uh, absolute. Walsh booster if you will to borrow an American term I I just think he his reputation and his ability in terms of uh, stoppages in terms of getting the most out of young midfielders I mean Kane Corns, Chad Corns, Sean Burgoyne, uh, Dom Cassisi they all they all unreservedly rave about the influence that Phil Walsh had on their careers growing up and I just think if he can come back in that midfield role and get a hold of Ollie Wines, get a hold of Hamish Hartlett, Chad Wingard, Andrew Moore, even guys like Brad Ebert and Travis Boak, who've still got a lot to learn and I think still have a lot of improvement left in their football. I mean, if he can really get through to them, like obviously Walsh did to the aforementioned guys from the bygone era, I mean, we have got a lot to look forward to at stoppages.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Macker, obviously you're a big rat, mate. So, uh, you know, tell us your thoughts.
2: Yeah, I don't have much more to add than that. I mean, as Tribe says, you know, all our fantastic players in our history who were underneath him, um, absolutely rave about him. I mean, what more can you say? I mean, I think Ren's done a, an okay job. You know, I'm not going to badmouth him because I think he's come in at a pretty tricky time a, a few years back and and done a pretty good job. And our midfield's been really really good this year. Um, but I think Walsh is going to take it up to that next level where we could really have a, a top two or three midfield in the league yeah well I mean it's pretty hard
0: to argue with the caliber of players we're talking about and are obviously talking while she ups so you know with those sort of players obviously singing his praises um you know you've got to be pretty excited about what he can what he can bring to the club obviously you know there's been a number of mentions about the the ruck role obviously um you know seemingly the rucks have come on a long way this year and uh, and how much Wren was involved in that? Obviously, from the outside, is pretty hard to know. But you kind of you look at it from the outside and think, gee, well, you've had a you know a pretty darn good ruckman in Wrenny there. Being able to obviously coach and mentor the likes of Lobby and and Redden, and obviously Lobby in particular has come on a long a long way this year and has been playing some fantastic football. Um, so so you just kind of hope that that either there's someone else there in the wings who's going to come in and take over that ruck coaching role, or or perhaps it wasn't Wren who was responsible for all that improvement anyway. Um, But that's probably the only concern, I guess, there is that we're losing that kind of specialist ruck advice for these two, you know, still very young ruckmen who are developing and coming through. Um, So, you know, I'm sure the club know what they're doing and have got that covered, but that's probably the only one little concern, I guess, you see there.
2: Yeah. I mean, the season's been over for us for six days. So, I mean, there's plenty of time to, to, you know, find a, a specific, you know, specialist ruck coach and... And, and try and find the right one, the right fit for our club, I think. So I'll, I've got no doubt that we'll find someone to do that role. It's just a matter of time.
0: Yeah, I'm sure we will. And so moving on, obviously, we'd like to review the SAFL power plays. Obviously, no Maggie's game this week. Unfortunately, not playing in the finals. Uh, but uh, obviously, the SAFL power players, the standout this week, obviously, Matty Thomas winning the
2: McGarry medal. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, guys? Oh, good on him. You know, it's uh, you know. He... He's a very much maligned figure on our board, Matty Thomas, but, you know, good on him for winning the McGarry. Um, You know, at SANFL level, he picks up heaps of the bowl. He uses it pretty well. You know, he's in and under. Um, You know, he's a real leader um, at SANFL level. Um, In terms of AFL, it it just hasn't worked out for him at Port Adelaide. I think um, my theory in terms of AFL midfielders is that there's kind of three components that you need to have. Um... You know, I think the first one is speed. The second one is ball-winning ability, and the third one is disposal efficiency. Um, obviously, there's there's not many people in the league that have all three. I mean, probably only Ablett, to be honest. Um, there's heaps that have two out of three of them. Yeah. I mean, there, there's plenty of slow elite players. You know, you look at Watson and Mitchell and Barlow, all those type of guys. Um, you know, plenty of people have one, but I don't think Matt Thomas has any of those three. Um, you know, he's pretty slow. He's only a 15 to 18 disposal uh, winner, um, and he's not very clean with the bowl at AFL level. Um, yeah. He's had plenty of chances. He hasn't quite made it. You know, he's been a popular figure. I used to love him, um, and I really wish him well for the future. You know, it seems obvious that he's going to get another crack elsewhere, um, and hopefully he can play another 40 or 50 games for another club. And, and how do you think he'll go, Maker? I think he'll probably do as well as he did at Port. You know, he'll be that sort of... He'll get a bit of the ball. He'll, play, he'll have the odd game, you know, once every six weeks where he's best on ground, and, and that'll be about it, I think. Yeah.
1: What are your thoughts, Strabi? Uh, Shout-out to both Big Matty T's. Uh, the real the real Matt Thomas and, of course, Big Matty T from the foreboard, who I've had yeah. running before. Um, no, look, I Matt, Matt Thomas is a fabulous story. I mean, we remember back to uh, when he was a lot younger and he almost died. He had that surgical mm-hmm. complication. Yeah. Uh, where his dad found him in the shower at three in the morning and he had all sorts of things wrong with him. And, I mean, to, to battle back and to play solid football at both SNFL and to a lesser extent AFL football is a fabulous achievement. But, you know, I just, I think we we, we can't get too emotional and tied to the individuals. Like, I think we fell into that trap sort of like Freo in the, in the late 90s where they had all these cult heroes like Jason Norrish and... Uh, James Walker was another one. These guys from Freo who would come up and would play them and we'd always belt them. And and you'd you'd look at their team sheet and think, Troy Cook, no wonder we beat them, you know? (laughs) And then eventually they began to churn through their list and they got rid of these guys. And, you know, Freo gradually became a really good side. And I think this 2013, as much as I'm sad to see guys like Nick Salter go, I think this, and and Brett Ebert as well, I think this is a really good sign that we're finally moving forward and really, you know, this is the new port. You know, we're going to churn through our list, we're going to get the best coaches and we're going to try and win a lot of football games.
0: Yeah, and probably a sign that we've got a whole lot more depth there as well, you know, that we don't actually need to hang on to the, the Matt Thomases and and, you know, I would just want to agree that I think Matty's been a great player for our club. He's, he's really given his all. You know, you've never seen him come into the team and thought, gee, he's not really trying. You know, he's, he's always given his all when he's got there. He may have fallen short at times in terms of execution or disposal efficiency or, you know, whatever else was there. But, you know, he really has been, a, I think, a good club man. You know, he's battled with quite a few injuries and played with quite a few injuries over the years, from what I understand. And uh, and so for him to sort of work through that and to be the consistent performer he was, provide that depth, you know, come into the team when he when he was needed, you know, go back to the S N F L. He wouldn't sulk, he wouldn't complain. He'd go back, he'd play good footy, he'd earn his way back into the team. And uh, you know, you can have nothing but respect for that sort of player. And you know, my hope is that he'll go to another club and and perhaps be that sort of you know Tom Logan that's been at Port, you know, the kind of player who. You know, provides good culture, sets good standards on the training track, keeps the pressure on the senior players. You know, I don't think he's ever going to be a, you know, a best 18 sort of player, but he's going to be that player who carves out a pretty darn good career, probably ends up playing quite a few games uh, by just being that good club man who gives it <coughs> who, who puts in, you know, the whole time. Yeah. Yep. And Can't, so, agree.
2: Can't agree more.
0: I think moving on, let's have a look. at the obviously the other big news this week was the All-Australian team. And, and obviously, for Port, having two blokes in the All-Australian team is a big improvement what we've seen on previous years. And uh, and so, what were your thoughts? Uh, perhaps, uh, Tribe, we might start with you this time, mate. What were your thoughts on Bokey and Wingard getting in?
1: Look, I uh, watched the coverage live on Fox Footy channel, and I'm not ashamed to admit that I fist-bumped myself numerous times. when When the picture of Chad came up, and the the instant Kieran Jack was named on the half-forward flank, I thought, well, hang on a minute, maybe Chad's missed. But the minute Chad was named in the forward pocket, I, I thought, hang on a minute, they're, they're, it's going to be one of these years where they sandwich 100 midfielders into the team, and I thought Boak would be a chance. And lo and behold, when folks face came up on the interchange, I was just, I was wrapped. I thought, <laughs> here's, a guy, here's a guy who turned his back on, you know, going back home, he, he turned his back on Geelong, um, you know he he you know he's embraced being captain of the Port Adelaide Football Club, and he's just improved in leaps and bounds. I've met him a couple of times. He's just a lovely fella. He's a straight down the line fella, and uh, you know what more can you say about the way he's played this year? You know we, he's always been that he's always been that heavy lifter in the midfield, but this year he became a game breaker and a match winner. And I think, you know, there couldn't be a more deserved selection from Port Adelaide. I think from Travis Boat.
2: Yeah, and what do you think, Maker? Obviously pretty happy with that. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean, I think it was pretty obvious from about, I don't know, maybe 60% through the year that Wingard was going to get in because um, he just kept on performing week after week, kicking goals mm-hmm. and, and getting, you know, just racking up the disposals. But the thing with sort of elite midfielders um, and guys like Boki is often that those guys that have really, really good years often miss out, Um and I was absolutely stoked that he got in because he has had probably the best captain's year of anybody else in the league this year, and he's probably had the best captain's season that I can remember anybody um, that's Captain Port Adelaide having since I've been alive. Um, Definitely up there with guys like Russell Johnston's, you know, 1990, um, guys like Tim Ginova's, 94, um, even Tredrae's, sort of, 04, if you want to count that as well or Primus go oh, We are absolutely counting that my friend. Yeah, I mean <laughs> I, I think Boki's been just as good. I mean you've just got to look at the games where you know he he got us back into them. You know, all these comebacks this year that we had, you know, the seven or eight come from behind victories. He was the number one key player in about six or seven of them. You know, he was he was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and I was kind of
0: the same. I thought Wingard was a no-brainer. and I thought, you know, the way he stood up, and it wasn't just the, you know, the, the number of possessions he got. It just wasn't just the, you know, the, the stuff he did on the field, but it was when he did it on the field as well. You know, the amount of times he stepped up in those clutch situations, kicked the crucial goal, you know, stood up in the big moments of the big games. I thought it, it was just impossible to ignore this year. I, I thought Bokey, I thought it was actually probably a sign of, you know, there's been a lot of talk this year about us regaining relevance as a football club. And I actually thought the fact that Bokey actually got into the All-Australian was probably a sign of us regaining some relevance as a football club. I thought, you know, I reckon in other years he could have had that sort of a year and just not gotten in. So, sort of, you know, they would have found a couple of other midfielders to slot into that slot. But I think with Port being the story it was this year, with the success of the team, with how deep we went into the finals, I, I think they just kind of looked at it and thought, well, we just, we can't only have, like, we've got to have a couple of players in here. And they actually looked a bit more closely at the Port list and, and, and once again, i not saying that it wasn't deserved at all, because it absolutely was deserved, but I just feel like you know, in other years, maybe he would have been overlooked for one of the other sort of higher-profile, bigger-name midfielders. And I thought it was just a great sign for Port that we're starting to get that recognition across the league and, and getting recognised with things like All-Australian Awards. So I was pretty happy to see... Absolutely stoked to see Bokeh there, actually. I, I didn't
2: think he was going to get there, so I was really happy to see him get named. Yeah, I don't want to undersell Wingard either because that's just a phenomenal story. Um, Yeah. Yeah, he was pretty good last year in his first year. Um, You know, he he looked a little bit undersized even at the start of this year, you know. He he still looks like a kid. Um, And to come in second year, 43 goals and, you know, 22 touches a game for a a 19, 20-year-old, I mean, that's ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. I think he's the youngest, um, youngest old Australian since Gavin Wanganeen and Ben Hart in 92. Yeah, pretty exciting when you start hearing him get named with Wanganeen, isn't it? Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> as soon as you hear that, it's happened
0: a couple of times in his career already, but, you know, you look at that career trajectory, and I think Wanganeen was McGarry the year after, uh, sorry, uh, Brownlow the year after. You know, you think, well, you know, that sort of trajectory, uh, you know, you like those sort of stories without wanting to sound like, you know, Brendan Sanderson. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's pretty exciting, I think, the trajectory <laughs> is going on. So um, we will move on. The last topic we've got is obviously... Uh, you know, the changes to our list. We had some retiree, or a retiree, and some delistings. Uh, so Nathan Blee, Nick Salter, Daniel Stewart, Matty Thomas, Danny Butcher, Justin Hoskin, Darren Pfeiffer, and, of course, Brett Ebert retiring. Um, what were your thoughts on those guys? Any of those that stood out for you that you were particularly pleased with, particularly disappointed with? What were your thoughts, Macca?
2: I think it was pretty cut and dry, really. I mean, you know, Thomas was, it was obvious that he was going to go, um, and I think he wants to leave anyway. Um, Salter hadn't played a game in two years, so it was pretty clear that he was going to go. Um, still, still a bit disappointed about him. You know, he looked really good as a Ford, um, and I think Dean Layley pretty much screwed his career around a bit. Um, <laughs> Daniel Stewart, I mean, just unfulfilled pot- uh, potential with him. You know, physically, yeah. you know, contested marks, you know, quick off the mark, but he just lacked that. He was just too laconic in games and too inconsistent. Um, Blees the one I'm a little bit disappointed with. Um, I can sort of understand why they've got rid of him. Um, but I think he's had such a good year. I mean, I'm just not sure what else he could have done to stay on the list, really. I think he's probably just a, a bit of a, a victim of circumstance in that we've got so many of those, you know, quasi-top 3rd toll defenders. Mm. Um, and he's probably bottom of the list, so he's he's had to go. Um you know, Ebert, obviously, he's been a fantastic player for our club. Um, sad to see him retire on that note. Um, and the three rookies, I mean, there's no real surprises there. Butcher just couldn't get the ball. Um, Hoskin had a great start for the year but fell away pretty dramatically. And Pfeiffer, um, you know, a, a bit of a, a cult hero last year, but, yeah, he looked miles off this year.
0: Yeah. And, uh, Trevi, anyone there you're disappointed about or pleased about?
1: <laughs> um. Pretty much everyone on the list, I assume, would go. Even my personal favourite, Insulter, who... I look at a guy like Stuart, uh, Stuart Cramery at Essendon, and he's talked about as this potential, uh, you know, 191, 190 cent, uh, centimetre forward, who could be the answer to the Western Bulldogs' woes, or GWS are after him. And I think, you know, you look at what Nick Salter brings to the table with his aggression... He's leading, he's marking, his beautiful long kick and he's, he's so aggressive on the ground. You remember that win we had against Hawthorne in 2009 or 2010 at Football Park where Salter got right into the Hawthorne players and sparked a melee, you know? He, yeah. he just seemed like the kind of player who you look at him on paper and you just think everything should work and he should sit on a half-forward flank and play 200 games but He just never seemed to get it together, from being pigeonholed as a defender to then suffering with injury later in his career. I feel really sorry to see him go, but apart from that, I agree with Macker. I thought that Nathan Blee probably deserved uh, another year. As that tall midfielder slash third defender, I thought he was really showing signs and had played really well for North Adelaide all year.
0: Yeah, and I've got to say, I was actually pretty happy with all of them. I mean, even Blee, I sort of... I've looked at Blee, I've watched him play a few times, and he just strikes me as one of those kind of tweeners. Like, he's sort of in between everything. Like, he's a bit of a defender, like, he's a bit of a small defender, he's a bit of a tall defender, he's a bit of a midfielder. I just didn't feel like he had any one role that he could come in and play at AFL level. And he strikes me as the kind of player who's going to be a really, really good, you know, SNFL waffle player, but not quite going to cut it when we start stepping up to the AFL level. Um to a certain degree, I think Nick Salter was a little bit the same, and, and that's pretty harsh on Nick, because he did play some good footy early on, but you know, I think the fact that we're going back to talking about 2009, 2010, when we're looking for highlights in Nick Salter probably says it all, that you know, he just he just never quite managed to solidify his spot in the team, whether that was the position he played, the injuries he had, the chances he got, but he just never quite was able to step up to that next level and, and really dominate. Uh, as you said, Daniel Stewart was probably the most disappointing one on that list, just because He had all the tools. Like, you'd watch him play and you'd see glimpses there where you'd see this great high, you know, mark where he'd take the ball right at the top of the mark and you'd think, gee, there's something there. Or you'd see him kick a beautiful goal or, you know, you'd see some of that agility, that ability to take the ball below his knees and you'd think, gee, this guy's really got something here. But it was just so rare. It was so few and far between and, and just not enough aggression I think was probably the biggest thing missing for him, that that real oomph and that real hard edge just didn't seem to be there so he's probably the most disappointing one I think but he, he seemed to have it all um, Yeah, the other...
2: there was a, an SNFL final that he played in I think 2009 I think it was uh, for North Adelaide against, the, against uh, Woodville West Torrens And he had something ridiculous, like twenty-six touches, fifteen marks, and four goals. And he looked like the second coming in Nick Rewald. You know, he was just super quick off the mark. He was taking grabs, he was taking contested marks, kicking goals. He had a similar game against Richmond in the last game um, a few years back. But yeah, he just never, just never went on with it.
0: No, it was disappointing. And you know, the other one that was probably disappointing for me was actually Justin Hoskin. I thought. We seem to trial quite a few of those Maggie's boys at the end of last year, and, and I would have really liked to have seen probably Corey Beard uh, or, uh, or Rakiwaza have a bit of a crack. Even Gray have a bit of a crack in the power team. I thought, I, th- I just didn't think Justin Hoskin was the right choice out of those tra- train-on players that we had, out of those Maggie's boys. I thought, I just wasn't sure he was the right one to pick up and give a crack. And so I was a bit disappointed on that front. I still think Corey Beard would be a good player for us to pick up if we're looking for that little bit of extra depth in, in some of those taller stocks. He just, he's
2: just a good footballer. Yeah, I think the problem with Corey Beard is that he's another 192cm defender. Um, yeah. And we just got rid of 191cm Nathan Blee. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's probably... Um, he, he does gonna, seem to play a bit taller than Blee, though.
0: I think some players 190cm play shorter, some of them play taller. And I think Blee definitely seems one of those ones that does play shorter. Whereas, uh, whereas I think Corey does play that little bit taller. But anyway, I think we're getting off topic there. Probably, what we should finish off with, I think, is just a, a bit of a tribute to Brett Ebert. you know, what a what a player he's been for the club. You know, he's he has been pigeonholed as that that small or sometimes tall forward his whole career. Um, and you know, I think a lot of us would have liked to have seen him given role, you know, given different roles, perhaps up on the wing or in the midfield or even off the halfback flank to use that leg of his. But you know. You've got to say he's had a great career for the Port Adelaide Football Club. You know, if it wasn't for his last name and the, the obvious comparisons to some of his other family members, then, then you know, he'd be seen in an even better light, I think. But you know, some of those years he had, you, know, you think back to seven, the goals he was kicking, the marks he was taking in the forward line. You know, what a quality player and what a great career, what a great club man he's been over the years. I, I think it's just worth giving a massive shout-out to Brett and saying you know, thanks for everything.
2: Yeah, great player. Great player, a great story. Um, I got to play against him a couple of times in primary school. Um, he was playing about three or four years above his grade. Um, that's how good he was back then. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, I got to see him through the SANFL reserves, and then you know that fantastic year he had at SANFL level in two thousand and three. And just the excitement. He's probably I can't think of another player um, whose debut has been so um, anticipated. Anticipated, yeah. Just in amongst all the port supporters i mean we were just willing him to to get a game that year it didn't happen he won the Magarey, fantastic um and he's he's had a really good career so good on him yeah and it's
0: probably fair to say you know brett's probably got a bit more time on his hands i think there's there's only one thing that all port supporters wanting to be doing and uh, i'm sure he can figure <laughs> out what that is <laughs> <laughs> so keep that even name alive and running in the port footy club i think it'd be a great thing so we might just leave it at that before it gets too dirty and move on but um As I said, next week we're going to have a big season review on the Port Big Footy Podcast, so really looking forward to that. And so uh, until next week, uh, once again, go the power. Go, boys.
1: Thanks, guys.